pulling at the red light. Hi, Butch. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, going down through verse 23. <clears throat> now we've seen so far that uh, uh, the church is a result of the work of God, and it's also the workmanship of man. That's what we saw so far in this third chapter. And it is the Holy of Holies. It's the place where God resides. When we come into the presence of God as a congregation, we're in the Holy of Holies. And now, uh, because of this, because it's the work of God and the workmanship of man, He has His part in it. And... Uh, preaching on the foundation that the apostles laid, which is Christ Jesus, then uh, it being the Holy of Holy, therefore it has rich possessions. And Paul's going to talk about those rich possessions in the end of this chapter. Uh, about verse 22 and 23. So we're going to talk about now what the local church possesses. You want to know what we possess? Here it is. It's easy to get out in this abstract area of the church if you don't think of Henry, Mary, Sue, Joe. We think of a building, don't we? Rather than names and persons, characters. And so we've got to figure out a way to correct that because we're always talking about going to church. You don't go to church, you are the church. You're the call of God. You're the sanctified, the justified. And we need to start thinking in terms like that because the world even misuses that word. They're always talking about going to church, uh, whatever. Uh, then to some extent you fail to see the church because of that. <laughs> so when we think of the church, we need to think of names and characters and personalities. But when you do so, remember what those the local body possesses. Uh, read with me, starting in chapter 3, verse 18 through 23. He says, Do not deceive yourselves. Well, let's just read 18 through 23 to start with. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. And therefore, view this, let no man glory in men. Uh, for all things are yours. Now you see there in verse 21, he's still on the trail of uh, annealing this uh, division and trying to get him to see that men in the church are merely servants, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the word servant, in the way Paul used it earlier, uh, as he spoke of himself as a servant, uh, spoke of a, of a waiter in a restaurant. 
and you go in to be served and that's what the church does it comes together to be served by the elders uh, by those men who have qualified and equipped themselves to be teachers and uh, and so consequently you have <coughs> the preachers shouldn't be looked upon the teacher the preacher uh, the elder they shouldn't be looked upon as anything special they're just another member but they have a responsibility and in that responsibility they serve tables that's what the Greek word for that servant means a table server and so here they built up Paul and Apollos and they're calling themselves after these men I follow Paul another group over here is proud of following Apollos and Cephas <clears throat> so Paul's been trying to anneal this thing by showing them that they're just mere men but as apostles they laid the foundation which no other man can lay we can't lay the foundation it's already been laid we build upon that foundation and Paul talked about that <laughs> remember, a couple weeks ago but he uh, in verse 21 let no man glory in men that's what he's been trying to establish and uh, so uh, men that work in the congregation are like a, a, a waiter in a restaurant. You can holler at them and say, hey, you forgot my water. How about getting the water over here to the table? Uh, my steak is not cooked right. Take it back and get it recooked. And that's the outlook of the congregation and the preacher, the teacher. They're, they're not special men in any respect. They have a special work to do as they serve God in the congregation. But there's nothing special about those men that you follow. Uh, Paul's already made it clear in verse 16. Uh, uh, no, that's not verse 16. It's uh, chapter 4 and verse 6. He'll get to it uh, in chapter 4. Particularly in verse 6, he'll get to it that he has in the figure transferred these things to himself and Apollos for the church's sake that they might learn in them not to think of any man above that which is written. But we'll save that till later. I just want to bring that out. That that's his purpose here in the first four chapters is to anneal that uh, problem of division. And so in verse 22, he talks about the rich possessions possessions that the church has. <clears throat> he says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ, and Christ is God. Now I'm sure when we just when we finish our discussion. Maybe not tonight altogether, but when we finish it, either tonight or next week, we're going to see the possessions that the church has. You wouldn't think of death being a possession of ours, but it is. You wouldn't think life would be a possession of ours, but it is. We think of ourselves as being nobodies in a world of uh, a lot of people. We don't see our importance. And that's why we don't move off a dead center. We just sing on how we love Jesus and go home and forget it all. <clears throat> I think I'm allergic to this pulpit. I've kind of figured that out. Every time I get up here, I go hoarse. So he says, he starts out in verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. Now that's an important thing because I can get so exalted about the church being the holy of holies uh, that I think I'm really some big dude. And that's what these uh, 
men are thinking. That's where the, that's where it's leading to. They think they're really an asset. They think that God ought to be proud to have them in His service. Uh, and so you get to thinking you're some powerful student of the Word, but God, uh, some great servant of God, some actually think that the Lord ought to thank them for being His servant. And I'm sure you've never had that attitude. But it can develop, and I've seen it develop in a lot of places. Uh, you get to thinking I'm doing such a good job that I'm sure the Lord is grateful that I'm His servant. And so for that reason, Paul says, do not deceive yourselves with that kind of stuff, with those kind of ideas. Don't, don't be all swelled up and deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. And so you can't bring the concepts and the wisdom of this world into the church, into the wisdom of God. There's a drastic difference as we've already saw. Because the church has the mind of Christ. We saw that in chapter 2. God has revealed Himself uh, by the Holy Spirit. Paul talked about the, the awesome beauty and nature of the Word. Uh, not only of its power, but of its beauty and nature. In, in the second chapter, you remember He said, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. And He's not talking about heaven because the very next verse He declares that these things that I hadn't seen and ear heard uh, uh, was revealed by the Spirit to them. And they had it. They had the message. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the wisdom of God. Anytime that the church has a problem, where they go to solve the problem? They leave the wisdom of man out of the discussion over problems that the church may face. And they deal with the Word of God. Alright, so do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you think he's wise by the standard of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catcheth the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. And so then, uh, no more boasting about men. That's what they were doing. See, that was their problem. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or... Uh, the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Uh, first of all, he makes two negative statements here. He says, absolutely no possession in human wit, uh, no possession in human wisdom, verse 18 through 20. Uh, the church possesses nothing in human wisdom. None of its uh, possessions are in human wisdom. Not a single one of them. He makes a negative statement in verse 18. He says, if anybody thinks he's wise, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're wise. Uh, Gideon comes into the picture here in regard to this boasting and being proud and puffed up and thinking you're wise. Because Gideon saw himself in reality as most of us ought to see ourselves. All of us should. The least man. That's how he saw himself. He knew himself to be the least man and the least family and the least tribe of all of Israel. And God, that's the man God chose. Why, you'd think surely he'd go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Cambridge, and 
call forth one of the smarties that's been to school and got all the pedigrees, wouldn't you? But no, it's a good study sometimes to notice the men that God has chosen throughout time to do his bidding. And it's always the humble man. The man who doesn't boast about his uh, thinks that he knows uh, that he's wise in his own conceits. So don't deceive yourself into thinking you're wise, Paul says. Now anybody that thinks he's wise is deceiving himself. And that's how he started that verse. Don't, don't deceive yourselves. Only Christ is wise. You remember we seen in the first chapter, verse 30, and also in the second chapter, verse 16, remember we studied that, and we saw that Jesus is our wisdom. And so if we have a problem and we need wisdom to direct us through that problem, who, where do we turn? We turn to the Lord, to His Word. So then there is a positive statement, He should become a fool. Rather than become, thinking He's wise, He should become a fool. That's what Gideon did. He recognized he was nothing but a fool. <clears throat> God can only teach a man that recognizes he's a fool. He can't teach somebody that's arrogant and thinks they know everything and that they're the answer to every problem. No, God can't deal with that man because that man won't let him. That man is wise in his own conceits. So as far as any human court or estimate of you, hope that they think you are a fool because that's what, uh, you're a fool for Christ. We've already seen that in chapter uh, uh, one and two. Because what the world would call a fool uh, and the conclusion is to that is that uh, he may be wise. That's what Paul said here. Become a fool that you may become wise. Uh, a fool can be taught. A fool can be reasoned with. A simple man. And that's what, that's what a fool is to the world. Is a simple man. Verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. <clears throat> what does the world think you are? Foolish. What does God think the world is? Foolish. We've already seen that time and again. And so you're going to be thought foolish by somebody. Uh, you're, you're not going to escape being a fool is the point. Either the world's going to call you a fool uh, or God is. You can, or you're going to be a fool for God or for the world, I should say. But you cannot escape being a fool. Uh, the question is, Whose fool are you? Are you God's fool or the world's fool? Are you viewed by God as a fool when you're in the world? Are you viewed by the world as a fool? Then you are in God. Now, uh, would you have the world view you as a fool or God? That's the question. That's the choice that you have. Take your choice. You cannot be viewed by everybody as wise. <clears throat> Either God views you as a fool or the world views you as a fool. And that's Paul's conclusion. The proof of it is in his two quotes in verse 19 and 20. Look at them. As it is written. Now where does he go to prove his point about being a fool? He goes to the Old Testament. He goes to Scripture. That's my point. He goes to Scripture. Where should we go in proving things to the Scripture? So he says, as it is written, he, he, he uh, catcheth the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. And that's from Job 5 and verse 13. And Psalms 94, verse 11, if you're interested. So Job and David are called up as witnesses 
that it's always been that way, always has. God didn't have anybody uh, like uh, Job, and so he made him recognize that he was a fool. Not another man in all the earth like Job. And God had to show him he was a fool. That's why he sat on that ash heap. Now when the book of Job uh, starts, Job thought himself to be pretty wise. You really want to study the book of Job. Uh, you're, uh, you're poverty stricken without understanding if you don't look into that great book. Uh, James says you're, uh, you've heard of the patience of Job. Now most people read that and they have their own definition of patience and so they think Job never complained because it says he was a patient man. Job was the world's biggest complainer. There's 38 chapters where he was participating with his friends in complaining. He was an uh, he was a incarnate question mark. He called God an archer that shot without thinking. He called his, his enemies. He thought God was his enemy by punishing him. He says, you're not looking. You're not concerned about me. When he gets to the end of the book, he says, I would that God would come down and do counsel with me because I don't deserve this. <laughs> <clears throat> that don't sound like a patience, uh, like uh, patience, does it? And so you need to know the book of Job to know what patience is, according to James, because James said that he was uh, considered the patience of Job. But Paul uh, quotes Job, and most of the book of Job is uh, is wrong because it's a futile search of the a futile man to find wisdom. And that's why he quotes Job to tell you. He says, look, if you think wisdom can be found in the world, read Job or Ecclesiastes or Psalms and give it up. Trying to find wisdom in this world. You're not going to find it. You're going to find the world's wisdom, but look what the world's wisdom's already done to us. And I mentioned it before. If you want to see man's performance and the fact that he's a loser, and that's why his number is six in the Hebrew language, here's why. Just read uh, Romans 1, verse 18, uh, through the third chapter and verse 20. And you will see the summation of man's wisdom and man's lost condition because of his stupidity. And he's destroyed himself and his governments because of his failure. That's why we have a history book. It's a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were and are no more. Simply because man's wisdom brought, it, brought every government down. We're watching our government waning and going down swiftly, swifter than we could have ever believed that it would. Uh, we've lost so many things under this regime that we got going on now. And I, I don't want to get off into that, but we do need to see that man is a failure and he has a wisdom, but his wisdom leads to death every single time. So when you, because the church is blessed with the mind of God, chapter 2, anytime you have a problem, you go to the Word of God to solve it. Anytime you, miss, you, you don't understand your walk in life, uh, you go to Jesus because He's our example. You know, we discussed that the last Sunday about going to war. Did Jesus go to war? Did he go to war with Philip with the Romans? No. Not what's his mission, 
His purpose was much greater, and he's our example. And besides, <clears throat> on uh, in the book of Romans, on Sunday evening, we've come to learn that we're to love our fellow man, do good to all men. Didn't say nothing about some you can shoot. Said do good to all men. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, well, anyway, uh, most of the book of Job uh, uh, presents a futile search that futile men uh, to find wisdom. And that's why he quotes Job to tell you look, if you think wisdom can be found in the world, read Job or Ecclesiastes or Psalms uh, and give up. You cannot find wisdom that way. So we have absolutely no possessions in human wisdom, the church. We, the church. We also have none in human leaders. And he says that in a quick phrase in the first part of verse 21, he says, So then, no more boasting about men. He's already declared that Paul, Paul, is, Paul watered, Paul planted, Apollos watered. God gives the increase. Now, if we don't have any possessions in human wisdom, why do we look to any man for guidance? Uh, for example, or for good, uh, we, ne we never, we shouldn't. A missionary uh, once stood up in uh, Bulgaria and he said, I've come not to ask you to follow any man but the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stood and applauded him because they had enough of these smarties, these missionaries that thought they was the answer to the world. The world's waiting for that because uh, they're tired to, they've tried to follow a bunch of men and uh, uh, and then they got where they are in ruination. Have you noticed the denominational world following men? Have you noticed that they've left the gospel completely? Have you noticed that the thing they're into is programs? Programs that you cannot read about in this Bible. Programs that the Lord's not an example of. Yeah, they've, they've lost it. And it's getting worse and worse. And it has been worse in time past, hasn't it? Until God buried some of these governments. So you end up wherever the guy lives that you're following. If you follow men, you'll wind up where men go. That's why the first... Uh, uh, disciples said, Lord, where do you live? That's, I think that's in John 1. Where do you abide? And his reply was, you come and see. And they found out what? That he didn't have any place he abode. He was, uh, he was heading home. And we ought to see the world that way. We're heading home. We have no abiding place here, exactly. We, we're uh, like nomads. Now you've got a great lesson to learn. Follow the guy that doesn't have any earthly abode. Because if you follow the guy that has an earthly abode, that's where you wind up. Everybody winds up ends up at the home of anybody that you follow. And so he says, no more boasting about men. And uh, this is a pretty good reason why you ought to be able to see no boasting about men. They've had 6,000 years since the creation. And there's a picture of their success. They didn't have any. They've ruined everything they touched. 
that's the bad part of, of education is that it brings young people to think that boy there's the knowledge that you need you've got to have well if you're studying about welding or building a brick house or something like that or some engineering those things are valuable they're needed they're needful but the colleges they don't stop there because the devil is behind all of it he uses education as a tool to destroy humanity and get them all puffed up and they're too smart for this book and they see us as fools God sees the world as fools <coughs> so Paul uh, so no more boasting about men uh, Paul's a great guy don't boast about him Peter's another great guy too uh, Jesus if you viewing him as a human uh, from a human point of view that's uh, uh, that's all wrong Paul says I used to know Christ from a worldly point of view but I now know him the way I know him I don't know him that way anymore and so uh, because he don't, because Jesus didn't follow human wisdom, and Paul saw that. After he knew him as a man, he began to see him as one who. Uh, where was Christ boasting? He said, "I do always the things that please my Father." The words I speak are not mine, but His. John twelve verse forty eight. Uh, so. Jesus taught us humility in service. Uh, he studied to gain the wisdom that he had in regard to who he was and his mission upon the earth because his, his stance in this world had to be by faith. And faith comes only one way, by hearing the word of God. And so in one sense he had no advantage over you and me. He was a man, 100%, that knew that he had a mission because his mother told him from the day he was born, your, the angel said your name would be Jesus because you'll save your people from their sins. And he said you'll also be Emmanuel, which means God with man. Don't you know that drove that boy to study? And don't you know that, was, that subject was brought up all the way through his rearing to manhood? No wonder he was down in the temple uh, left behind when his parents came to pay taxes. He, was, uh, he stayed behind studying with the, fair, with the uh, lawyers of the law. And they were astounded at his understanding. But he was searching for all of the answers as deep as he could get. I've often wondered if we had even an inkling uh, of what he had in a desire to understand God and his message. I wonder where that would take us if we studied and learned like he did. Because he come to learn by faith what his mission and purpose was. In fact, Luke's gospel says he grew in wisdom and stature. You see, uh, Paul's statement there that he made a minute ago, he quit knowing Jesus from a worldly point of view. And when we look at Jesus, we know he's human. We know Philippians 2, 5 through 7, that he emptied himself and humbled himself and become a man to make a sacrifice. But Paul said, uh, I no longer view him as a, as a human. Uh, so why is Paul uh, telling uh, the Corinthians that? Because there's a group of them that knows Jesus how? As just a good worldly leader. And there's the problem. The Jehovah Witnesses will come to your house and they'll begin to teach you right off the get-go that Jesus is not God 
that he was just a good world leader. And the Corinthians had that same problem. And men, anytime they begin to trust in men and men's wisdom, that's where it leads every time. And so, where then are our riches? All of our riches are in Christ Jesus. Every possession that the church has is in Christ, and he covers the waterfront in verse 21 and 22. Uh, the blanket statement, he says, all things are yours. Now stop and dwell on that statement. All things are yours. I want to know how all things are mine, don't you? Now it takes a little time to stop and think about these things. But we've been blessed beyond recognition. Uh, we don't recognize how blessed we really are. Paul said, all things are yours. So why would you boast about men if all things are yours? Why would you feel intimidated by men? All things are yours. All ministers and all ministries are yours. Hasn't Paul made that point all the way through so far in our study? He said, I'm just one that planted Paulus watered, but God gives the increase. <clears throat> so whether Paul or Paulus, the whole world is yours. Anywhere you want to go, that belongs to you. The world is yours. Oh, you don't have a piece of paper that says, this world it belongs to me and I'll pay the taxes on it. No. Let the heathen pay the taxes. But the world is yours as a, as a field to work in. It's yours in many ways. We don't see that because it's ingrained up here with this worldly wisdom that, oh, before it could be yours, you've got to have a piece of paper saying it's yours. Well, God just told you, here's a piece of paper telling you, Paul's telling you by the word of God that all things are yours. <clears throat> Anywhere you go, that belongs to you. Service is your life. Victory is your death. Work is your present. Plans are yours. That's the future. That's what belongs to me. Right there. <clears throat> Every creature in the brotherhood belongs to me. Every place in the universe belongs to me. If I have the right mindset about it. That don't mean I can go out here on somebody's ranch and pick out a, a fine steed and ride off with him. That's stealing. <coughs> as long as I recognize my purpose in the world. Why am I here? Why do I still have life and breath? To preach the gospel of peace. The lost humanity. So the whole world's mine to preach in. Death is mine because it's a discharge from a wearisome battlefield. Any kind of service to be rendered belongs to me. Now the church certainly don't see that. Men in the church don't see that. They try their best to put off the responsibilities that they and ignore them. But if you're a member of the body of Christ, you need to start working toward recognizing that your service belongs to God. And if it belongs to God, then it belongs to the church that His Son purchased. But men don't see that. They got this false concept that they can go to heaven by just showing up and sitting in the pew. Uh, so he declares that we have victory over that which all men fear belongs to me, death. Again, I'll say it, uh, I've held the hands of a lot of Christians that were dying. And they died comfortably and peaceably. And with a confirmation 
that they knew where they were going. But I have heard people say, the last thing you want to do is hold the hand of somebody that's not a Christian. Now that guy in New York and, and uh, that professor in New York City that was well world known, in 1969, 68, he had come across the news that he declared that God is dead. And in 69, just a year later, I happened to pick up a newspaper and on page 2745 in the very back of the paper, there was a little article about like that that said that his son was on his deathbed, breathing his last few breaths. Doctor done pronounced him, he's gonna die here in a few minutes. And that same professor was panicking as he pleaded with somebody to call a preacher, any preacher, to come and pray for him. And he wanted him baptized. And the news media was there because of the importance of this professor. And they stuck the microphone in his face and said, well, why are you so afraid of this thing? Uh, why are you so worried? You, you told us God is dead. He said, well, it's just in case he's not. And you're going to follow me in? They're the ones that come up with the theory of evolution. But you come from the slime in the sea, swung in a tree, and that's me. That it just all happened. Anyway, uh, and so all of the planning that is to be done belongs to me. Uh, I'm to, to recognize and I'm to plan my work and work my plan. Now that's a flaw, that is a, a truism that we recognize when it comes to making money. But what about in the kingdom in the service to God. Plan your work. Work your plan. There's men that use the excuse, well, Merle preaches, he teaches, there's no need for us. Oh, really? You don't have a part in the kingdom? You don't have a part in the service to God? Is that what you're thinking? But we cop out there with this idea that somebody else, oh, they do a better job than we could do. How do you know? And so, all of God's people has a jealousy with, should have a jealousy of the church that Christ died for. That means that we're concerned about one another. And we give some thought to one another and how we can help one another. And so there's working your plan and plan planning your work and working your plan. And so, uh, everything belongs to me, the local body. Uh, and I'm making me the local body there. I hope you saw that. One individual owns uh, all that. But the local church that meets on the corner of Grace and Faith in Corinth owned that and didn't know it. Never considered it. And that bunch of deadheads that you've fled from to come here, they own that. And wherever you want to go to today to worship with the brethren, whether uh, where there's two or two or twenty thousand, they own that. That belongs to the church, to them. That's the possession of the local church. And so are we rich? Beyond measure. Because again, uh, why do we own that? Because it belongs to our Father. There's a story i got to tell. Uh, a guy I know, years ago he flew he went to see some friends off at the airport and he accidentally got into the security area at the airport. 
and here come these soldiers out with machine guns and everything on him. And they ask him, what are you doing in a, in a, in a, a, a what? A secure area. Uh, no trespassing. And he smiled and he said, the only thing I could think of to tell him was that my father owns the whole shooting match. He owns all of this. <laughs> it's quite a mindset, isn't it? Why do you think airplanes got built? Man didn't do it. Now man does some of the some of the mechanics of it. But where did this technology come from? Don't attribute it to man. God said he'd be with us always. And he's with us. Does he love the church? He died for it. So there's the father working in the background behind the curtain on the stage of life. And he has his work and we have ours. And he's very jealous for the church. And he's very jealous that all men come to the knowledge of truth. That's what he wants. His invitation is to every man. He's not willing that, the scripture says he's not willing that one man should perish, but that all come to repentance. <clears throat> and so in view of that, God is working with man to subdue the earth. In Genesis, he commissioned man to go forth and subdue, struggle the earth. And he said, I'll be with you in that struggle. Where does the, the mindset come that understands metals and their shrinkage and, uh, and, and is able to put metal against metal and make a piston roll in a cylinder and yet go for hundreds of thousands of miles without wearing out because of oil and all of the unity, the unison that goes on in an engine with the valves opening the proper time according to timing and when the pistons come up in a certain place all that's involved in that. Do you think man come up with that? Boy, if you do, you're praising the men. You're leaving God completely out of the picture. And every now and then he sends us an Einstein upon this earth to show us how stupid we really are. Because he made Einstein's mind. Einstein was an idiot, but he was brilliant in other things. He, uh, he wrote this law of relativity that astounded the world. And we've talked about autistic children before. Every now and then God sends one of them to us. A little four-year-old boy never heard Beethoven. He listened to one recording of Beethoven and pulled up at the piano and played it with Never missed a moment, no. He couldn't do anything else, but he could do that. Another little boy was taken, I think he was uh, six years old, to New York City in a hotel, high in the sky. They opened the curtain and let him just for a few seconds look at the landscape in the window. All them buildings and that antennas and windows and everything. And that little, they closed the curtain and that little boy drawed it accurately. There wasn't a mistake in it. Autistic, but very, very talented in certain areas. And we just rule God out as though, yeah, he went off somewhere on a vacation. Hope he comes back for too long. And he's out there just shocked at what we've done. Why, we built airplanes and tanks and Oh, why look what we've done. We got combines that'll run on a hillside like that and level out and all this kind of stuff. No, God's been with us all along. So let me get back to my point. Why did he teach us to build airplanes? We done without them for uh, 5,000 years to go with the gospel of peace. Does that belong to me? certainly does. And I didn't have to put a wrench to anything. 
but there's a there's a passage to the world. It belongs to me. Uh, well, we could go on with that uh, look, but everything. Though these are the possessions of the church. Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to recognize how blessed they really are. <clears throat> and like I said, we don't stop to think about these things. We just attribute it to man. Oh yeah, boy, they were some bright men in yesteryear because they made the gasoline motor. They really did. <laughs> well, I can't swallow that. So the reason we own these things, they belong to us, is because God is our Father. And so the airplanes are for me to travel on if I so desire, or if that's my mission. There's highways out here that's built. Now you and I don't have to go out and build them highways. If we need a job, we can work on them. But the highways are built by the determined counsel of God. There's nothing happens either outside of God's direct command or His allowance. And He commissioned us, and here's roads all over the United Have you looked how many roads? Me and Vince have been riding the roads, the back roads around Benton City for several years, and we haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't rode them all yet. They're everywhere. Why is the roads to go with the gospel? Anyway, anything that belongs to me belongs to my children. And so God being my Father, that everything belongs to me because it's His. Uh, and it belongs to me now. And when they need it, I quickly supply it to my children. And now the older I get, the more that's true. When they left my house, they did not leave my fatherhood. Now they left my direct dis discipline, but they did not leave my fatherhood. And any time any of mine are in trouble, I am there. Do you reckon God is? Certainly. Now I'm saying that not to be boasting, but, it's, but uh, isn't that the way with, uh, with yours? And I don't think we, uh, we bring that over into the church so much. And sh shouldn't it be that way in the church? Are we family? Absolutely. We should be anyway. We're family, so we should act like family. And see to one another's needs. And see the opportunity, look for opportunities to serve in the Lord's church. But somewhere again, we got it for. Let's see, we got a we got a preacher. We got a teacher, and we're we're there. We arrived, and everybody else just sits on their butt for year after year after year. Somebody says, "How come you don't do something?" Because we got a preacher and we got a teacher. We should act like what we are. Don't try to be what you're not. Just be what you are. I mean, don't try to be leaders or try to be wise or strong. Don't try to be any of that. Just be brother or sister. That's all you need to be to one another. Don't try to be fathers. Don't even try to be older brothers. Now, if you're a stronger brother, bear the infirmities of the weak brother that's true but that's a matter of strength not a matter of uh, seniority God has no stepchildren and he has no rank in his family <coughs> there's no rank in my family uh, sometimes we all are rank that's true but there is no rank in my family I've got one son that's oldest and two other sons and one daughter that are in the order of birth that's all but they don't rank number one number two or number three or number four except in the order of birth and age 
And that's the way we need to look upon the church, upon brothers and sisters. Matter of fact, the youngest one may be supportive in an area of the others uh, with the other three. And then the oldest son, because he's got certain expertise, might in a time bear the whole family, dad and mom included. Why am I saying that? Because I think it's taught right there in Corinthians. If we don't have this, we're not going to be able to meet the circumstances of life. The problem is we've got this, but we don't. We refuse to recognize it. He didn't say this is what the church can own. He didn't say all things are yours if you work hard enough to make it yours. He said all things are yours. So presently they belong to you. This day, they belong to you yesterday. They belong to you tomorrow. They belong to the local body anywhere in the world. All this already has been given by God. He gives you life. He gives you death. He gives you the world. He gives you all things. What you do with it is up to you. And if you follow the Lord, then you know what you're going to do with the world. And you know how you're going to face death in a triumphant way. And you know that all things are yours in that uh, realm. But the problem is we sometimes forget to add it to our checkbook. If somebody were to put a million dollars in my account without telling me, and the bank never sent me a notice about it, I'd still live like I was overdrawn. And isn't that the way with a lot of us? We're overdrawn. We live right up to the last penny. I hope they don't get the, the uh, surface charge, is our concept sometimes, until I get this check and get it in the bank. And I'm sure we all identify with that. I hope that check comes today because I've already written out another check as though it had. <laughs> and I want it to arrive today. But it doesn't. And then you pay that $20 overdrawn fee. But see, it would never happen if you had a million dollars in the bank. We'd live in local congregations as if we were imperished most of the time. Not being judgmental, just stating a fact with all that is in our bank account. And so we have all things are yours. And we live like we didn't know what's in our bank account. But everything belongs to us because God is our Father. And so Paul's getting around to telling them again what he told them before. Paul is yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. They're merely servants by which you learn the truth. But men rank one another. They have a way of uh, building one another up and getting puffed up about things. And so God here has... Uh, already told us what we got. This is what you possess. Uh, extremely important revelation. That's what you possess because you have the mind of Christ in chapter 2. Extremely important knowledge because you have the knowledge of the Lord, not the world. Paul sees this as, an extremely, as extremely important. It's as though he is driving driven to this point. Now he's going to make some applications of it. Uh, I view this as sort of a high point from which he's going to make some applications in chapter 4. And so Paul has told us the, the best news of all. You are the holy of holies. 
And because that's what you are, here's what what's in your account. Here's what belongs to you. Here's what you can claim as being yours. All things are yours. And Paul has listed some of them. And if he didn't list everything you can think about, he's already said all things are yours. And so if some of the things you want to possess are not there, if it's holy, it belongs to you. If it's unholy, you wouldn't want it anyway. All right, I think I'm trying to find a place to stop here because they're tying to us. Well, we'll just stop right there. And today is what? It's not the 13th, is it? It's the 13th. allergic to this pulpit. <laughs> I haven't had this problem all day till I got up here. Would you call that an excuse? Working on an excuse? <laughs> Thank you.